Now, I'm a living example of uh, how speaking things out in faith uh, can, when the evidence all around you isn't there. I, I used to have arthritis, I no longer have arthritis, and I, but I had years of speaking out, um, telling my body to work properly, and now it does, praise God. I'm very happy to be my consultant's peculiar patient. Uh, so last week uh, we went out on the streets. I'm glad it was last week and not today, because it's rather damp today. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, for a shy guy like me, last week can, could, could have been very scary. But I chose not to listen to the fear, and I just got on with what God wanted me to do. We had some great conversations with people out there. People were reached with the love of God that wouldn't have been reached if we just stayed in this building. So we were just obedient and we did God's work. Uh, today I'm going to talk about some parables again. We're going back to parables. There are, uh, there's one big parable in this passage and there are two small ones. There's the parable of the great feast and then there are two parables which are basically about the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. So I'm going to read the whole of Luke chapter 14 so that you can hear the context of where these uh, parables are spoken. So I'm going to read Luke 14 from the New Living Translation. So starting at uh, verse 14. Oh, no, sorry, this is chapter 14, this is verse 1. One Sabbath, Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. And then he turned to them and said, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they couldn't answer. When Jesus noticed that all who'd come to this dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honour near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honour. What if somebody who's more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat, and then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. And when the host sees you, he'll come and say, friend, we've got a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbours, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. 
When the banquet was ready, he sent out his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another one said, I've just got married so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they'd said. And the master was furious and he said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There's still room for more. So the master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone you find to come so that the house will be full. None of those that I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. A large crowd was following Jesus. They turned around and said to him, sorry, Jesus turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and your mother, your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, otherwise you can't be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Don't begin until you count the cost. For who will begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They'd say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counsellors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat 20,000 soldiers who are marching against him. And if he can't, he'll send out a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. So Jesus was invited to have dinner at one of the leading Pharisees' houses. As usual, the Pharisees were looking intently for faults in Jesus. They're watching his every move and listening to his every sentence, critically. They had their own religious views. They failed to spot the Messiah when he was standing right in front of them. It's so sad. But that sort of religious uh, blinkered ridiculousness can happen in us as well. Watch out. We too can miss out what God's wanting to do through us because we've got our own view about God which can stop us from letting God work in us. Be careful. God seems to usually work in ways that we don't expect him to. So Jesus healed again on the Sabbath, breaking the Pharisees' rules, and he got them tatting and huffing. They found Jesus really frustrating. But how can you condemn somebody for healing on a Sabbath day Jesus annoyed and baffled them. But meanwhile, Jesus was watching the Pharisees too. He noted how they jockeyed for position. They wanting to be seen as the important ones. They pushed and shoved for the most prominent places at the table, for everyone to see how important they were. So Jesus gave them a lecture about humility. I did talk about humility a few weeks ago, uh, when we were talking about parables before. 
uh, particularly about our prayer lives. So I'm not going to say much, but I want to talk about the Queen as an image. Uh, she's not wearing her crown. This is what she liked to be. One of the things that struck me hearing stories about the Queen after she died was about how this powerful, important lady was not full of her own importance. She was a hugely important woman, but she took time to notice people. She was thankful to people. I heard numerous stories about her uncanny memory, remembering things that people had told her. She cared and she listened, and then she asked. She asked her subjects things that they told her that they didn't expect her to remember. She was busy, she had a lot of cares on her mind, but she took the time and effort to remember and ask. She said that she found her strength through her saviour Jesus. He enabled her to do what she did, to care for those around her. We may not be important in the world's eyes, but we should also try to listen to those around us, to take time to care for them and love them, to support them through their problems. Please keep your eyes and ears open. Try to notice those who serve you quietly. I want to embarrass someone now. Sorry, Anne, it's you. Now, Anne is somebody, she's one of uh, Grace Vineyard's unsung heroes. She sits at the back quietly, serving us on that geriatric old PC. But when it goes wrong, we all turn round, but she doesn't notice because she's intently trying to bash the thing back into life again. I want to say thank you, Anne, good and faithful servant. There's a slide here which I didn't want to give you any glim uh, glimmers that I was going to embarrass you. Sorry for embarrassing you. Anne is also somebody who listens to you when you share something with her and she makes the effort to ask you, oh, how is, how's this going on? Thank you, Anne, good and faithful servant. Bless you. Now, there are others amongst us that are our unsung heroes. They do things without fanfare or, or seeking attention. I'm not going to attempt to list anyone else because when you make lists, you always leave people out. But I just want to remind you that if we fail to notice what you've done, God will not, for, no, uh, he will notice, he won't, he won't forget you, he, won't, he will notice. One day you will get God's thanks for what you've done even if even the rest of us selfish prats don't notice what you've done. There's only one person's opinion of you who really matters, and God thinks you're wonderful. Just remember that. Forget about what other people think of you. I've wasted too much time worrying about what people think of me. It doesn't matter. I know that God thinks that I'm wonderful, and he thinks that you're wonderful too. So now let's look at the parable that Jesus spoke the parable about the great feast or the banquet. In the society which Jesus lived in, it was a practice to send out an invitation. Got an invitation on the next slide, please, Anne. It says, come to my party, but I haven't got a date yet. That was the way they did it. They, they would give you an invitation. I'm going to have a celebration, but the date wasn't set. 
that's how they did it. Uh, you must be prepared that at some time in the near future there's going to be a celebration. So that, so that their system was that if you realised that you weren't going to make it, you could make, you could tell your your um, host, ah, I've got a problem, I've got this coming up. So I pro so the people that that came up with these excuses, they're really lame excuses. It, who would buy a field without checking it out before you purchased it? Hopefully the guy that's just bought a load of oxen would have taken them out for a, a test plough before he bought them. And what about the new wife? Was she really not welcome at the feast? I'm sure she would have been. The excuses given are trumped up ones, made just because the people couldn't be bothered to go to the feast. No wonder the host was angry. Jesus gave his message to a nation who was waiting for a Messiah. They should have known better, especially those who, who read the scriptures about the coming Messiah, should have recognised him, but they weren't interested. They had their own religious blinkered ideas of what Messiah was going to be and what they were waiting for. Jesus was far too human and he kept the worst kind of company that they thought possible. How could this guy who broke so many of their religious laws be the Messiah that they were waiting for? I want to play you a clip of a song now. It's a song that you'll have heard before, and I'm sorry it's a bit early for Christmas, but you may well hear this song at Christmas time. If you listen to this song now, please. that bit of it. Who of you thinks that's a Christmas song? It's not a Christmas song. He's just said to you, this comes to pass when a child is born. It's a Jewish song. He's still waiting for his Messiah. It's a Jewish trick. It was released at Christmas time. He even says at the end of the song, no one knows what he looks like, whether he's black, white or yellow, you know. It's 
it's not a Christmas song, but he makes lots of money out of Christians buying his song at Christmas time. Um, the Jews were still waiting for their, they're still waiting for their Messiah now. Most of the Jewish nation at the time of Jesus re rejected him as saviour. So God invited the Gentile nations too. The gospel is available for everyone, anyone who is willing to listen. You don't need any special qualifications to become a Christian. All you need is to accept Jesus as your saviour and God will welcome you because Jesus paid the debt for, for the sin that separated you from him. Now after this parable of the great feast, Jesus goes on to talk about the two minor uh, parables about the cost of being a disciple of him. He says this, he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father, your mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you, want, if, you, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not telling you to reject your family. He's just saying, don't get trapped by people's opinion of you or what they want you to do. He's just saying your devotion to being his disciple should be much more important than what your family or friends think about you. What God wants you to do is far more important than what family or friends want, expect from you. God expects to be first in your life. That's why Jesus said about picking up a cross, dying to yourself. Your own selfish wants and desires have to become secondary to serving God. Salvation may be free and available for all, but God expects you to give up everything to do his will. This is what Jesus said earlier in Luke. This is Luke chapter 9, reading from the message version. He said, then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Everyone who intends to come with me must let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose it, the real you? If any of you is embarrassed in me, of me and the way I'm leading you, know that the Son of Man will be far more embarrassed with you when he arrives in all his splendour in the company with the Father and his holy angels. This isn't, you realise, pie in the sky, by and by. Some who've taken their stand right here are going to see it happen, see with their own eyes the kingdom of God. Romans 12, verse 1 says, So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because, all, because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind that he will find acceptable. This is the way to worship him. The thought of giving up your all to God can seem very scary. None of us want to do it, really. The problem with a living sacrifice is that it can always jump off the altar. It's a daily uh, choice to serve God 
and that's why I take off the cross every night and I put it on in the morning. I then have the choice in the morning, who am I going to serve today? Am I going to serve you, Lord, or am I going to just look after Andy's needs? Don't think that you can be a half-hearted Christian. It doesn't really work. It's why so much of the church is weak. Sadly, the church, so much of the church does its own thing rather than following Jesus' true teaching. Like the Pharisees, many who call themselves Christians don't really follow Jesus' teaching. They've got their own agendas and their rules that they follow, sadly. So what is it like to give your all to God, submitting to his will for your life? This is how mankind should be, how it always in, God intended it to be when we read about Adam and Eve at the beginning. They did have close relationship with God, but then they listened to Satan. He deceived them, and they chose to go their own way. They were tricked into feeling that God must be holding something back, that they, and that they should be able to choose for themselves the best way for themselves. When I was down earlier this year, I found it hard. I, and I felt I was scared about giving my, my all to God. I felt that he would make me do things that I didn't want. He'd send me off to Africa or something like that. He does ask me to be willing to do things that, I know Africa can be a nice place, but <laughs> it's unusual to me, and it, the thought of going to somewhere strange is scary for me. That's all I mean. I'd rather not be up here in front of you. I'm a shy guy at heart, but... God's given me the ability to teach and I just have to put aside my own fears and just do as he asks me to do. He helps me to do it. He's promised to be with me and I stand on that promise right now. I read an interesting, uh, sorry, one more thing. There's a little quote from Jeff Lucas that I read, uh, I heard a couple of weeks ago. It says, God is much more interested in your availability than he is in your ability. I'll read it again. God is far more interested in your availability than he's interested in your ability. Don't think about what you can do or can't do, just think about what God wants you to do and let him do his work. That's what I'm standing on at the moment. Another quote from Jeff Lucas, I've, I read an interesting chapter in a book that he wrote earlier this year. And he says he'd like to write a book called Stop Looking for the Will of God. Now, you may think that's heretical, but if you check your Bible, you won't find people seeking the will of God. What you'll find is people seeking God. If you seek God, get to know God by reading your Bible, listening to other Christians, praying, then you get to know God better. And when you get to know God better, then you'll have a far better idea of what he wants you to do. Sadly, we can so, get so preoccupied with uh, seeking God's will that it becomes more important than God himself. It can become just like checking your stars or seeking a medium. God wants your company and, you, and your intimacy he wants your service, not from obligation, but born out of true love and gratitude for him, him. So how does giving your everything up to God work out? 
For some, like Mike and Joe, some of you remember them, some of you don't. They used to be with us at Grace. But it, God asked them to move up to the Newcastle area. It's tough for them, it's tough for the friends that they left behind. But it meant changing where they live and their careers. But God asked them to go and they were willing to go. For me, it's not been so costly. I haven't had a call for Africa. God knows that it would scare me because there's too much change and uncertainty. But I can still live a life of service for him. I try and introduce Jesus wherever I am, with my family, with my friends, in my workplace. I try to get conversations going about my faith and I try to introduce God in natural ways without being a Bible basher. When people realise that you care about them, it builds bridges for Jesus to walk over. That's what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago. Be loving and kind and people are much more likely to listen to you. I just try to be Andy with the Holy Spirit's help wherever I am. I've got a reputation and an influence in the world of models. And I try to reach out to model making friends with the love of Jesus. If you look at my website, this is my website, there's a whole load of things at the bottom of the, there's a, there's a menu at the top, but there's a drop down menu. There's a whole list of bits here, which are Christian blogs and Christian thoughts. So I, I get emails from people who've, who've noticed my Christian content on my website. God can use you wherever you are. We've all got likes and interests, and God doesn't expect you to give them all up. He'll never force himself on you. Your service to God should flow not just from duty, but mainly out of that love relationship that you should be building with him daily. You must serve him out of gratitude and passion, or it won't work. Feel God's love, love God, and then take God's love to those around you. That's our church statement, isn't it? Just different words. That's how it works best. We're all selfish at heart. We all make mistakes, which lead us into sin. But when you realise you've fallen, stop, say sorry, and ask God's forgiveness and start again. That's how Christianity works. This is 1 Peter 1 verse 13. So roll up your sleeves, put your mind in gear, be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You, did, you didn't know any better then, you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. When I became a Christian at the age of 16, the first Bible verse that I was ever given by my granddad was Galatians 2.20. It's this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. God will never force himself on you. His desire is to help you, to give you the best life possible. I challenge you to give up your life in service for God. And I want to end in a covenant prayer that was made by John Wesley in the mid-1700s. I've translated it 
one or two bits into 21st century English. And I challenge you, as I speak this prayer out, to, to pray it too. So this is John Wesley's words. I'm no longer my own, but yours, Lord. Put me to what you choose. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you and laid aside for you, exalted for you and brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. Freely and heartily, I yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. So, you've got some questions? Please make sure that you have time to pray for each other at the end. That's a very important thing. You don't have to do all the questions, but there's three questions. Our favourite one, which bit of the talk most challenged you most? Do you think that you're a people pleaser? Are you pulled by people's opinion of you? Do you think that you listen to people around you? Do you think that they feel that you care about them? And what scares you most about giving up your all for God? <laughs>